APRA acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters and communities. We pay respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of APRA and the National Boards. I'm Tash Miles. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a huge effect on our healthcare system. And when we talk about healthcare, the most important part is the patients. Today's episode is about what it's been like to be a patient during a pandemic. We have three guests who will talk to us about the changes they've seen, what's been hard, what's been better, and how they've maintained connection with their practitioners through the pandemic. Our first guest is Crystal, and we're very excited to have her on because she's she also hosts another podcast called First Time Feelings, which you should be sure to check out after this. Welcome, Crystal. Could you introduce yourself, please? My name's Crystal. Um, I'm a musician, um, a communications professional working in the museum sector. I have made a podcast um, called First Time Feelings, um, and I also write a little bit. That's me. And uh, to set us up for this conversation, could you tell us a bit about your experiences as a patient? On top of all those things, I also, um, I would say that I'm a person who is living with cancer, although I'm currently um, no evidence of disease, which is um, fantastic, but I have been living with it for a very long time. So I've now, I think, reached my 12th year um, since my original diagnosis. So I consider it, um, I think, to be a chronic illness. I had a recurrence uh two years ago so I've been on close surveillance since that last recurrence which has meant that I am in hospital a lot um, getting scans and having blood tests and meeting with my oncologist really regularly. So how has that changed and like can you think of a an example of an experience that you might have had three years ago versus one that you might have had in the past six months to year? you know, COVID coming in and absolutely changing everything. Um, The hospital system had quite a burden on it and was also really conscious about people going into the building that a lot of the appointments were made into telehealth appointments. So I think that's a really big change. Um, Prior to the pandemic, we really, as patients, never... We rarely had a phone conversation. I think there's, you know, there are pros and cons to to not having to make the trip to go into hospital. Um, It felt safer because there was less likelihood of being exposed. But there were a lot of, um, you know, not necessarily negative things, but things to deal with that were quite different to before. So my experience was I found that the appointments were quite um, rushed. It kind of became less personal, I think, and that that's quite hard when you're dealing with, um, you know, a, a serious illness and you're waiting on results and you're waiting to hear, you know, has the cancer come back or is there anything, you know, else that's suspicious that's being picked up. So I think feeling kind of rushed in, in a scenario like that, which is fairly heavily weighted with emotion and expectation, was quite hard. It kind of caught me by surprise because I wasn't necessarily expecting that. So it was a little bit, it took a bit of adjustment. And I think, you know, actually on reflection, I I should have been a little bit more vocal about that, but it can be hard. I think as a patient to advocate for yourself um, in the moment, patient advocacy in a changing environment 
is really important because you get really used to doing um, things a certain way. You know, you get used to being, even um, waiting for the telephone calls was quite um, stressful because before that, you know, you'd be in a waiting room, um, you can kind of see people going in and out, you know what's happening. You can sort of, you can talk to the receptionist, you can ask the receptionist about um, how long the wait is. There's a lot more context to, to your appointment, but when it's a telehealth appointment, you're really, you are sitting by the phone and if that phone call is late, you don't know why. Um, that was a major change. Was there anything either that a particular health practitioner who you saw um, did that could you could see that they were making an effort to create better connection in an environment where it was really difficult? Or if you don't, could you think of something that was maybe obviously missing or that would make it better for you in the future? As if you like, you say that we'll have more telehealth consultations moving forward with everybody who is now having to operate in the digital space you know like we are right now is it's really important I think to remember always that just because there is this kind of digital barrier like you're still talking to a person my oncologist at you know the one that I saw for the appointments during this time you know she's very busy and I understand that it is a very very busy hospital but I think one thing that occurred with was that and she did ask look she asked she's like do you mind if I type while you're on the phone and I was like actually I do I do mind if you type because I feel that I'm um, just trying to really ensure that you have as much of a personal connection still even though it is a phone call and it's not as personal it's not in person and you don't have eye contact and you don't have body language I think sometimes that requires um more kind of focused engagement with the patient just trying to remember that you know within when we're having to communicate in these new ways like in the digital space it needs to be just as personal when it's a patient um doctor appointment it's interesting i've certainly found during the pandemic that things that i didn't think would be important to me are really important and like vice versa and i feel like that's kind of something that it needs to be okay for you to like change your mind halfway through, I'll be like, actually, that typing is really distracting, even though I thought that it wouldn't be. Um, that's just something I've learned. And, you know, she did the right thing. She absolutely, like, asked me. And, yeah, I, I was quite surprised. I was like, yeah, actually, it's really distracting. Like, you know, I don't, and it's probably related to the appointment, and I'm sure you're just taking notes about me, but it makes it really hard for me to focus on what you're saying when there's this additional distracting kind of sound that's happening. And, and I can imagine that as a musician and a podcaster, you've got super, super ears. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm definitely attuned to sounds when they're happening. <laughs> Did you have any experiences in hospitals or in clinics where it was difficult to talk to practitioners or what, what was that like? Uh, unrelated to uh, the cancer uh, stuff, but, you know, unfortunately... As human beings, sometimes we have multiple things wrong with us. I had to go and have jaw surgery. And that was technically out of lockdown, but we were still very much, you know, on high alert, um, huge amount of PPE. Um, luckily, like my husband was still able to visit. I think I had a double case of not being able to um, communicate because I'd had jaw surgery, so I couldn't talk for the first few days. And... Then I also had nurses which had PPE on and masks and I couldn't see their faces. Um, so it was sort of um, 
a really communication was extremely hard just generally I asked for a pen and paper and I was able to communicate you know and write down my needs and communicate that way but it is extremely hard I think with masks um you can't see people's expressions and I think there is a lot of potential for miscommunication and you know one scenario that did happen was that I I wanted to stay an extra night um and was getting quite sort of upset because the nurse was like oh but you know you seem like you're okay and I'm like well I don't know there's you know uh, double jaw surgery there is a lot of blood afterwards and because you've had uh cuts made in your mouth um and you have dissolvable stitches that are in there you're still getting quite a lot of blood um that you've swallowed from the operation and that is getting kind of caught in your in your mucus uh and so you need to have it like sucked out with a tiny little plastic tube small little vacuum so there was a lot of having to write, I need to have the tube to suck out. You know, I can't, because you can't blow your nose. You can't, um, you can't touch your face at all. I didn't really feel like I could go home after the first night. And I think, you know, and in the end she was like, I think, you know, they're absolutely, nurses' jobs are to make sure you get back up on your feet so you can go home safely. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, I was doing quite well aside from the mucus and, and blood um not being able to get rid of that myself but I think it was like a part of the miscommunication was just I could not talk because I'd had jaw surgery and I could not see her face because she had a mask on so I mean in the end we got there and I think it just required a little bit of back and forth and what advice do you have for patients and for the support networks I think the COVID, the COVID pandemic has really um, exacerbated what you need to do in a lot of situations. And I think when it comes to being a patient, like I think just advocating for yourself and your needs is really super important. And I already thought that, um, you know, before this, and I think one of the, the best pieces of advice I was ever given when I kind of entered the hospital system, you know, 12 odd years ago was by a doctor who said don't get lost in the healthcare system like you have to kind of like lead the way in your own treatment and lead the way in um you know be asking the right questions and finding the right people and you know advocating for yourself really which you know is much um easier said than done but I think I would encourage anyone that you know is regularly within the healthcare system um, for whatever kind of condition to try and like build that confidence to to be able to ask for what you want to be able to set you know boundaries to be um, clear about what you need and um, you know what support networks you have or you might need and the right people to be connected to um, and it's an emotional experience I think going through um, any kind of treatment or any kind of chronic health um, issue and it, it can be really hard to actually find that confidence to ask those questions but I think the more we sort of talk about it and the more you hear other people other patients talk about it I think is really helpful. People are busy and very overworked in the healthcare um, system and I think trying to have empathy on both sides is actually really essential like for the practitioner for yourself um 
everyone just needs to have more empathy for each other and I think that kind of will really help like communications generally between patient and doctor. Thank you, Crystal, for sharing your stories, your reflections, your insights, your sometimes a little bit graphic experiences with the healthcare system. We really appreciate hearing from you. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure. And our next guest is Aiden. Welcome, Aiden. Could you introduce yourself, please? My name is Aiden. I am a 25-year-old. I currently live in Melbourne and I have cystic fibrosis and along with a few other sort of medical conditions, I guess, a relatively uh, lengthy since day one medical history. Um, I work as a aerospace engineer um, for a company that delivers medical supplies by drone called Swoop Aero. Um, and I spent the last six years of my life up until sort of the middle of the pandemic living in the US in the Bay Area um, and moved back because I sensed that the borders were going to be shut for a, a while and I missed being with my family. Aiden, as a person with cystic fibrosis, could you tell us a little bit about what that's like in terms of what health practitioners you need to see, what, how often you need to see them and what that's been like for you in your life since your diagnosis? I guess for people who maybe aren't as aware, CF is a genetic condition. Um, I was born with it, uh, was diagnosed about four weeks old. So it's sort of always been a part of my life. The baseline for me is seeing a health practitioner every two months, roughly. That's um, usually a respiratory physician. Um, at those appointments, we also meet with you know, dietitians, uh, physiotherapists. So that's like the baseline level. And then uh, CF is sort of a disease of like peaks and troughs in terms of health. And so when things are good, it's every couple of months, it's a relatively low burden other than daily physio and pills. And then when things are, are worse, when I have what's known as an exacerbation in lay persons, that's just like a cold, a really more dramatic cold. And I would be in hospital typically for a week or two and with a course of IV antibiotics. Uh, and during that period, it's obviously very intensive uh, working with the physios and the respiratory physicians. Um, and often those courses of IV antibiotics can extend back into home life, um, but it, it ebbs and flows a lot in terms of what it looks like and what my involvement with the health system is. And when things are good, it's um, more infrequent. And when things are a bit more challenging, it's you know, every day or all the time. So potentially being in the hospital is risky outside of a pandemic. What was that like coming into it? And hospitals feeling like a dangerous a more dangerous place to everyone because of this virus what was that like for you the the most dangerous place to be as a cf patient is probably in hospital and so the physicians tend to be nervous about admitting people for exactly that reason because you're sort of putting people in an environment where they're surrounded by the worst viruses and um, as opposed to out in the world where they're more diffuse so for me like the covid 19 pandemic sort of everyone experienced a bit of what it's like to be so with CF in the sense that um, it was all like when I, for instance, went into the hospital and I was always in a single room, I would sit in the hospital room and then the doctors would cycle through. And I, I would imagine during a pandemic, like they've sort of moved to that kind of like constant PPE kind of approach. Everyone wears a mask, obviously. And that was how I was always treated because of the risk of cross infection and being so high uh, in the CF community anyway they actually have different days of the week or different hours of the day that are allocated to certain um, like chronic infections. So 
I, I might have a set of chronic infections in my lungs and that allocates me to let's say purple group and that means that i can only go to the hospital on certain days and when i go there i'm only in certain rooms and they keep all of those cohorts apart to the best extent they can so i might only be able to schedule appointments on wednesdays because of the risk of other cf patients being there on thursday who have a different set of infections to mine um, ideally all of us have none but that's just not the reality for for cf patients um so like that I guess like risk of cross-infection is something that's always latent um, for people with um, compromised immune systems or just like CF patients in general. Um, and I think the pandemic sort of exposes a lot of people to that. I feel like the world kind of understood more the risk for people with compromised immune systems when during the pandemic. Was there any other changes that you saw both as a, you know, your regular month, two monthly kind of checkups or if there were any times when you had to go into hospital? Fortuitously, I have not been admitted since the pandemic began. Um, in terms of the actual care, I think the, the only real significant shift is one that most people will experience, which is a switch to telehealth um, that I had not had before. Uh, it's sort of an interesting, it's an interesting disease to try and manage via telehealth because you, lose, you use a lot of data to try and track how you're going. So um, the primary metric for CF health at least in my care experience is what's called lung function or like um, pulmonary function, which is just a measure of how hard you can blow typically for one second. Um, and that is like make that a lot of the decisions about what to do next and how you treat the, the disease and what medications you take are driven by your performance on this one test. And so not being able to take that in the hospital sort of changes um, how much information you and your uh, care team have to make those decisions. For context on how small the differences might be, uh, like for me, I sit at sort of this 90% level for my lung function, which is very good. And um, notionally, 100% is like a healthy individual. Um, but a 10% swing would potentially be enough to have me be admitted to hospital, or at least like there'd be a significant change to my, um, like potentially I'd be add antibiotics or I would add a certain medication or change something. Um, and so we watched that number really closely and I have since I was sort of age zero. So yeah, so I have a little like app-based um, uh, lung function device. Uh, the problem is like, it's a bit, I mean, who knows how accurate it is. So to some extent you're, you're making a little bit of a, um, a guess and you're maybe not using exactly the same equipment that you would normally use. And so potentially any fluctuation um, that you like it could be explained by different in equipment as opposed to like actual health difference when we've spoken to health practitioners they sometimes talk about how it can be it has been difficult to develop like a rapport with patients um either in the hospital setting because they're wearing so much ppe or over telehealth because you don't have that kind of connection of being in the room with them obviously you had an ongoing relationship with a lot of your health practitioners but What's that been like over telehealth in terms of the relationship that you've had with them? I actually didn't have a pre-existing relationship with my health practitioners because I was in the US um, for the pre previous six years. And so new clinic and new physicians for me coming back to Australia. So my initial appointments were telehealth with people I'd never met. Um, so I sort of sympathize with everyone else's experience in that respect. Um, it, it is challenging. I think transparency or, or like um, even just ease of communication that's lost. And I think a lot of 
I'm sure this is most acute in you know, therapy and, and mental health treatment, but even um, something like CF, which is ongoing, but has primarily physical aspects, but certainly can have a mental health burden. Um, you lose a bit of that, like, yeah, ease of communication, ease of um, understanding each other and making sure that you're being really transparent with your doctor in my case and uh, vice versa. Just the like slight micro losses of communication that you get from glitchy internet or like slight delays and mean that you potentially don't have exactly that same like really comfortable communication method. And for me personally, I really like feeling very open with my doctor, feeling like they're being open with me, being really clear about, okay, here's what's going good. Here's what's not going good. And I think you just don't quite get that same rapport. Yeah. For me with, with CF, it's, it's a disease of like managing. It's like constantly managing. And so I want to feel like the care team is really invested in my health to the same extent that I am and might be hard for them to convey that they care in the same way that you might be able to being in the same room. I would want to feel like a 5% change in lung function would be reflected, you know, in, in some sort of behavioral change from their side. Like, okay, we're in this together. Like this change impacts my life. Like, what are we going to do about that kind of thing? Um, and maybe there's just like being, you, you can, you can have a 10 minute call. It could feel really like quite abrupt. So maybe there's not that quite same sense that you're like on the same boat and treating chronic illnesses where it's like all about like, you know, watching little trends and, and making sure that, okay, you've seen like a change in blood marker or like uh, a, you know, a reduction in clotting time or like increasing clot times. And it's like something, some sort of abstract blood marker. You're like, okay, well, what are we doing about that? Like, what's the next step? What are we, what, what um, actions are we taking to make sure that doesn't become an actual issue? Uh, and that to me, a lot of that is about like communication and trust and belief that you're both doing the same thing and going in the same direction. And a lot of that comes from being just like physically located in the same place. And not to say it's impossible, but I think it's, there's just some like slight barrier to communication there on the telehealth version. Yeah, because you can't see what's going on outside of the square. Oh, the frame, yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you feel like things that you didn't necessarily think were important to you kind of got magnified during the, the pandemic? Honestly, not really. For me personally, I've always interacted with doctors in PP and like uh, since I've been probably 15, I've been in like a certain risk group, sort of touched on this before, where the doctors would arrive in the room wearing full PP. So like some CF patients are in that cohort, some are not, and I've been in that for some time. And so they always arrive in the full gown, mask, gloves, the whole uh, the whole thing. Like I was admitted every year and sometimes twice in the years that I was in college in the US in um, a CF ward, like the, in a non-pandemic time, the, the infection control is very strong. You can't go for a walk typically. You can't leave the room. Uh, everyone who comes in wears, including your friends, come in wearing like full PPE. I just had like the most amazing contributions from my friends. I had people like cover my room with flowers, like ridiculous stuff that was very over the top, but like really means a lot because it, it is very isolating. I can't really think of a place where it, it's more essential to have like that human physical, like light and, and brightness and communication and, and love that you could get from people being around. Um, and that is something that had I been admitted during the pandemic, I probably wouldn't have had access to, to the same extent. Um, and so something that I would hope we, we find a way to, to make it be available to patients uh, and like, be something that we, we value and accept as like a, a sort of critical aspect of people's care who are admitted to the hospital.
And what was it like for your friends and your family? You mentioned that you moved over here to be closer to them, but what was that like for people knowing that you were in a high-risk group during a pandemic, you were moving country, you are changing healthcare team? What was it like for them? I think a lot of my friends were more concerned about my well-being than I was. And this might be something that people with chronic illness often experience is that you can only control the things you can control if you're the patient, but everyone else feels like it's out of their control because you're worrying about someone else. And, and so for me personally, like there's always some latent risk and, and COVID was just another risk to be managed. Um, for everyone else, it was like suddenly people with respiratory conditions were sort of thrust into the spotlight of like risk factors for this pandemic. Um, and so I had a lot of people expressing a lot of concern and it was very kind, it was very appreciated, but um, from my personal risk level, it didn't, it didn't change all that much. And having said that, I came back to Australia where there was significantly less risk of COVID. There was significantly more aggressive mitigations in place than there was in the US. Yeah, so I guess like that was very fortunate. I think my parents were particularly happy that I was back because they could be you know, around more and engage more and uh, have that visibility into what was going on. I was wondering whether there were, if there were things that you think could improve your experience as a patient that maybe have arisen from your experience during the pandemic. There certainly exists a very a nice happy medium in terms of managing ongoing care using telehealth. It is a really big burden to go to the hospital every month or two, and particularly as someone who doesn't own a car, it's especially a big burden. I, I work a lot. I work pretty long hours, and the opportunity to just slot it in like any other meeting would be really um, convenient and would really help to like make managing care the lowest burden that it can be. There's going to be no change to my diagnosis, but there's a lot of day-to-day -day management, you know, making changes, making adjustments, testing things that you don't need to always have that like, true face-to-face -face interaction. You have this experience of your entire life that you're sharing with people about this really small recent part of the rest of ours, a strange one for us. So thank you. No worries. Thank you. Our next guest is Tess. Welcome, Tess. Could you introduce yourself, please? I'm Tess. I live and work in Melbourne and I've been working from home since March 2020, over 19 months now. Yep, it's a long time. And today we're hearing from people who have been patients during the pandemic. Can you tell us about your experience or experiences as a patient? I was actually reluctant to go to the doctor. COVID was so dominant. Also, if you had anything that fitted into the big bucket of COVID symptoms, you couldn't get a face-to-face -face appointment without a test. So that was an extra step. I did organise a telehealth appointment when I needed a script filled, probably because I'm used to online meetings through work. I assumed it would be one too, but it was just a phone call. I'm used to seeing the people I talk to, but it was okay if a bit low key. I postponed or didn't make follow-up appointments for non-urgent checks. I wear glasses and I haven't had an eye check for three years now. There is also that aspect of COVID, that aspect in COVID of changes with how I could be a support person for a patient. My brother was hospitalised following an accident and we couldn't visit him or really get any 
good regular news about his health apart from him. Um, so that did feel like we, my family, were operating at one remove. And a really good friend is pregnant and I wasn't able to see her, let alone to offer to accompany her to appointments. Well, so first up, for you and for everyone listening, can this be a reminder to go and get your eyes tested because that's very important. <laughs> um, and it, I mean, I think that just in that response test that you've shown us, the broad ways that we interact with the healthcare system for anything from accidents to obviously the vaccine to pregnancy and, and how things that um, you know are important milestones in our lives have a different kind of flavour uh, now. Thinking back to if these sort of things happened um, you know, two years ago, um, how would they have been different? Do you think that you would have approached um, visiting hospitals or doctors or making appointments differently and how so? Well, it would always have been face-to-face -face if I was visiting a doctor or a specialist or any, any health practitioner. I would have sat in the waiting room and not waited outside waiting to be called in when the doctor was ready. I think it really was hospitals that were the big bar, though, you know, that you couldn't get into them during COVID unless, of course, you were a patient. So these restrictions that were kind of public health restrictions were, were certainly in place, but also did you feel a sense of fear? Like was it intimidating going? You said you avoided going to a doctor uh, during the pandemic. Was that because you were scared, because it was less convenient, because it was being done in a different way or kind of a combination of all of those? Felt like little health issues were less important. Um, and actually, when I was thinking about talking to you, I realised I had actually had a number of appointments. Like I had an impression that I hadn't done anything. I just sort of laid low. But they added up, so I did engage with the health system. What was important to you when you received care? What I guess is always important, which is in the end getting a diagnosis, but also getting good information. And I do think that while I may have been a bit slow to access care, I got good care when I did. I think some of the change that's come about through COVID is actually quite positive because it gives patients and practitioners more flexibility. Who were your support networks as you were receiving these various healthcare treatments, advice? My partner, friends and family. I'm lucky to have a good bunch of colleagues too. And we made a point of catching up regularly online. I've been going for a walk with a friend who's within my five kilometres most Wednesday lunchtimes. It was a great way to break up the week, especially in lockdown. After the first few months, when I read and watched a lot about the virus, I reduced my exposure and mostly just listened to the excellent Coronacast podcast every morning. I know that might be a weird thing to throw a podcast into being a support network, but it just meant that I got the information I needed and then could get on with other things. And what was it like being somebody's support network? You, know, you mentioned your brother. That was difficult because it was hard to get, we were operating at one remove, like I said, it was hard to get good information. And he was hospitalised with an injury that meant it was hard for him to access his phone. Um, so it took, it, it, among other things, he went into hospital without the right charger, but um, he couldn't access the phone by his bedside table because of a neck injury. And so that was, that was quite difficult. 
Have you had any other memorable interactions where you've just thought, wow, we're, we're in a pandemic and this is bizarre um, in, in healthcare settings? Then I turned up at a specialist appointment once only to find the specialist was working remotely and no one had told me. So I sat in her office and she rang me. So next time you see a health practitioner or next time a friend is seeing a health practitioner, what's something that you would say to them by way of recommendation? If, if, if only to say, make sure you ask whether it's telehealth or, or in person. Look, I don't really have any complaints or even really suggestions for um, improvement. I think that everyone did really well and as we do it more often we'll get a little bit more practiced and in being more practiced um, we'll get a little bit better at it. What have you learnt about yourself as a consumer of the healthcare system as a result of your dabbled experiences with healthcare? I think I've learnt that what I do think though is that um, online is a good convenient option and can save time. And that the flexibility and adaptability that so many people, including those in the health system, demonstrated was extraordinary and impressive. Um, so some change is good change. Thank you, Tess. Uh, I think that you've shown us all of the different ways that we can interact with health practitioners and how it's really dynamic and it's changing. But at the heart of it, everyone's just doing their best um, to help keep communities safe and well. Thank you. Thanks, Tash. Listening to your podcast is one of the things that I do on my walks too. Oh, thank you. And thank you to all our guests for sharing their stories and experiences about what it's been like to be a patient during a pandemic. And thank you for listening to Taking Care. You can find us wherever you can listen to podcasts by searching for Taking Care. That's including Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch, email us at communications at and take care.